And the show does a good job of making Adam sympathetic. Like when Chet pours Adam out in this like really weird sexual like situation where like Adam has sex with like the network's like wife while like the guy watches, like I feel terrible for him. everyone this is alex and this is em welcome Welcome to the late sorry girl (laughs) go ahead um and this is em welcome to the latest episode of the good the bad the basic this is a podcast for tv lovers movie buffs and binge watchers of all ages on this podcast we'll be discussing what we love what we hate and what's just a little bit problematic about the tv and movies that we're addicted to and a bit of rewriting where necessary for much more exclusive content Become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode outtakes, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. Today we'll be discussing Lifetime slash Hulu's hit behind-the-scenes reality show drama, Unreal. Using Everlasting, a fictionalized version of The Bachelor, Unreal explores the mindsets of both producers and contestants. Unreal peeled back the curtain and exposed the seedy, unethical, and oftentimes dangerous manipulations of a group of reality show producers and, like many reality shows, quickly became a guilty pleasure for so many viewers. So what was it that made Unreal so intriguing? Stay tuned. everyone so you got a little backstory on unreal so here's some details about the show it's a drama obviously and it was created by marty noxon and sarah gertrude shapiro and it's based on an independent short film by sarah gertrude shapiro called sequin race the show aired from june 1st 2015 until july 16th 2018 It lasted four seasons and a total of 38 episodes. The first three seasons aired on the Lifetime Network, and the fourth season was released on Hulu. The show stars Cherie Appleby as Rachel Goldberg, Constance Zimmer as Quinn King, Craig Burko as Chet Wilton, Jeffrey Boyer Chapman as Jay Carter, Josh Kelly as Jeremy Canner, Michael Ratty as Coleman Wasserman, Francois Arnold as Tommy Castelli, Genevieve Boucher as Madison, Freddie Stroma as Adam Cromwell, BJ Britt as Darius Beck, Caitlin Fitzgerald as Serena Wolcott, Brianna Elliott as Graham, and Aline Ellismar as Shia. So these are just some of like our key players in seasons one and two on a show that has a rotating cast of supporting characters. 
So let's jump right in to the first season, which lasted 10 episodes long, um, and where we meet all of our key characters, um, Rachel, Quinn, Chet, Jay, and Jeremy. Let's talk about it. All right. So like really quickly before we jump in, uh, I just want to give a bit more sort of like, um, I guess, why like Unreal is a bit of a cultural artifact. So Unreal was a huge deal because this was Lifetime Network's like breakout, breakout hit. Lifetime is like, you know, Lifetime. It has a very specific sort of brand. And uh, beyond um, reality TV shows, uh, Lifetime was famous for like, you know, it's Lifetime movies, which I know we've all seen, like, you know, Mother May I Sleep with the Danger, you know, um, Too Young to Be Married, all that sort of fun, hokey stuff. Um, and Unreal was a big deal because, like, it essentially shifted Lifetime's entire brand of, like, what the network could be and, like, what it ended up being. Um, Essentially, Unreal is – Unreal airing on Lifetime is actually how we get you um, a couple of years later because you also initially premiered on the Lifetime network and then switched um, to – uh, Netflix streaming services because Lifetime ultimately dropped it after the first season. Yeah, I mean, um, Lifetime had had a few shows I remember growing up, like I was still either a kid or a teenager, and they'd had shows like uh, Strong Medicine and Army Wives that were like huge and lasted many, many seasons, but obviously they were not geared towards millennials. <laughs> right. Um, and I think, you know, Unreal definitely change that and show that they could they could still be relevant to a younger generation because everybody knew that lifetime wasn't making shows for like the younger crowd season one let's Mm -hmm. go (laughs) (laughs) season one is a shit show you guys and fair warning it doesn't get any better (laughs) you know season one is probably the best season of of unreal like in terms of writing and like execution it's 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 the best one which isn't common i think in in terms of when we think about shows and the shows that like we've been reviewing like usually your first season is like okay but then like your second and your third season you're really in your bag um but that but that's not the case here (laughs) yeah yeah um so I have like mixed emotions about that and I'll, I'll probably like explore that more when we get when we start talking about seasons three and four. But I also want to say like fair warning to fans of the show and like people who have been following the podcast. Shout out to all of our loyal loyal listeners. I said back in season one vampires that like I like I deeply could not stand Elena and um Rebecca and Haley from the TVD universe believe me when I tell you that these white women are on on unreal are infinitely worse <laughs> right <laughs> they're so terrible and they're really like horrific and I remember about the show because like I said it was such a huge hit and it was like really popular and like I remember a lot of critics are writing about it. I think the thing that bugged me the most and about season one and then also just through the run of the series in terms of like the critical reception is that like when white women wrote about the show, you would have thought like we were talking about like, like this was the future wave of like (laughs) feminist (laughs) shows. And I was like, bitch, where? (laughs) Mm, Protect me from these demons, Lord. (laughs) 
Jesus. So anyway, season one, um, we're introduced. We're sort of uh, dumped headfirst into this world. And luckily, it's extremely familiar because I think even if you haven't watched The Bachelor, um, The Bachelor is such a huge cultural artifact and a juggernaut within and of itself that you sort of know what it you have you have enough knowledge about it. You know what I mean? Right, right, exactly. And <laughs> if anyone is interested after they listen to the podcast and then, and they watch Unreal and you're sort of interested in more sort of looking at like the action and you've never watched an episode of The Bachelor and you're interested in looking at it a bit further. Um, I know Netflix has recently bought, I think, some of the Bachelor back catalog and their previous seasons that it's showing as well as like 2B TV is also has, I think, the the very first 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 like the first season of the bachelor that you can watch in its entirety i might need to take a trip down memory lane (laughs) (laughs) i will say that the very first season is actually super interesting mostly because when you think about the bachelor now like everybody is of course like extremely conventionally beautiful they like get all these models like and everyone is like sort of there, obviously, to to promote something or do something. But the very, very first season is like everybody's so normal looking. I was shocked. Anyway, we're we're dumped into this sort of bachelor-like world. Um, and we're immediately introduced to our main players, um uh Rachel, Rachel and Quinn. Rachel, who is um a producer on the show who la- and we're immediately introduced to her her story she was um she's actually in legal trouble from the network because she's coming back sort of in infamy cuz she had a very public breakdown i think last season on the set and then we're introduced to Quinn who is uh, the showrunner who sort of you know fought for Rachel to be back and we're also introduced to Chet, who is the creator and executive producer, and also, and then Shia and Jay and a bunch of other people and our sort of main contestants of like um, Faith and Anna and and Grace, Grace yeah. yeah. Oh, and of course, our bachelor Adam Cromwell. Adam Cromwell, um, yes. So we meet all these people, and. I think one of the things that I appreciate, like probably one of the only things I appreciate about Unreal is that it shows you that everyone's got their damage. Like Rachel's a damaged person, but so are the people around her. And what I think is interesting about that is like, like we all carry burdens, but like, what does, what does your baggage make you do? And how far are we going to carry the excuses when you're damaged and your baggage starts burdening other people. So one of the things that Quinn really loves about Rachel is that although Rachel had a childhood where she was heavily manipulated and gaslit by her mother, and she still carries a lot of scars from that, Rachel's also someone who's like an expert manipulator. And that's why she wants Rachel back so badly, because Rachel knows how to play with these contestants. But initially, Rachel is also this... She's a bit of a tragic figure because she manipulates, but like the manipulation and manipulating people is something that's actively making her sick uh, mentally. I mean, if we armchair it, like Rachel is a whole borderline personality. Like, just like, absolutely. 
Right. She's um, and and what's awful about it is Rachel, the manipulating people is making Rachel sick and she knows it's making her sick. But she's sort of in this financial, but she's in like sort of deep financial constraints and she is in trouble legally with the network. So she can't afford to not be at everlasting and, and not working. Right. Um, and that's also like a condition of her parole that she needs a job. And that she also has to do community service. And now, it's very clear very early on that Quinn doesn't fuck heavy with a lot of people, but she fucks heavy with Rachel. Like, Rachel's probably her favorite person, which says a lot considering that Quinn is also a very damaged person. And so, on the community service tip, she's able to get out of it because Quinn gets the young intern Madison to do Rachel's community service while <laughs> Rachel's on set. Um, but, you know, she's working there and she's also living there because she's living in a trailer there. She hasn't paid rent or contacted the woman she was renting from in months. And so she's sleeping in one of the trailers on the set of Everlasting trying to make this shit work. And like, The thing is, even though she had this very public breakdown last season, prior to the breakdown and very quickly within the first season, she kind of get over her scruples and, you know, does what she has to do to get the reaction she needs to get out of these contestants. So it is actually very difficult for the viewers, although Rachel is our protagonist, to see her as a hero or even an anti-hero because she's really fucking with people's lives in a major way throughout the series. Exactly. And the longer it goes on, the the less sort of excuses she has. And listen, the trailer stuff is ugly. I mean, she's out here struggling. She's not taking it. She hasn't bathed. She's switching her underwear inside out. Like, oh, God, I hated it. Mm, man, she was like a, a real ass, like, rich, poor person. <laughs> like, um, first season, this writing is is really good. I will say, like, it's really good. It's really well paced because we even we start to see, like, the beginnings, I think, of the brokenness of Rachel, like, even in the second episode. So season one, episode two, Rachel, because um, they're on the set, but, like, it's in a mansion and... Adam, who is the the suitor, the the bachelor, I'm calling him the bachelor, whatever. He she goes into his room, like she's producing him, and she sees the shower and he's showering in it, and she just <laughs> takes off her clothes. She takes off her clothes and gets in there with him. Like, so we're already like, okay, this person has no boundaries. <laughs> right, right. And like low-key, I was judging everybody because it wasn't a washcloth in sight. Not one, not <laughs> one. I act, that was absolutely in my notes. I was like, I was like, you've been complaining about the fact that you haven't had a shower this whole time, but you didn't bring a washcloth. Make that make sure. sense. Make it make sense. Um, but yeah, that was like deeply dis- distressing for me <laughs> to watch. Oh, what um, you do? Um, but yeah, she very clearly makes it clear that she doesn't have any boundaries. And the thing about Rachel is like the, the show never fails to remind you that Rachel is incredibly sharp. She might be might, I say might, I don't think she is, but she might be in denial about some of her own um, mental illnesses and neuroses. But within moments of meeting a new person, she is very knowledgeable and exactly what buttons to push and how to manipulate them and how to make them tick. 
she's real puppeteer shit on here. <laughs> for real, for real. So let's bring her to, I guess, her 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 darker the angel the dark angel that sits on Rachel's shoulder, which is def- definitively Quinn, right? Quinn, although Quinn is definitely her own broken person, um, but she's definitely more together than Rachel. But and Quinn is equally sharp, and Quinn is a the one who puppets the puppeteer, I guess, in in terms of the relationship between her and Rachel. Quinn knows exactly what buttons to push um, and all the issues to exploit um, in order to get Rachel to do what she needs Rachel to do. And while I think there is genuine affection, I do think Quinn has a genuine affection for Rachel. It's there's there's nothing in Quinn that really wants to see Rachel get better. Right. Um, And I think Quinn is very conflicted on Rachel, too, because there's many instances, especially in seasons two and three and four, where she can clearly see that Rachel's going off the rails and she wants better for Rachel. It's like she wants Rachel to get better, but only to a certain point. Like you can be healthy up until this point, not so healthy that I lose you. Right. And right. So she wants Rachel to be healthy, but like on her terms. Exactly. Um, And Quinn... But in, in as much as Quinn is smart and uh, I think uh, smart and I think good at her job, she is she's a whole clown. <laughs> Don't worry, she's she's out here a whole ass clown because she is sleeping with uh, Chet, who is the um, cre- quote unquote creator and executive producer of Everlasting, and she's but and she's been with chet for a long ass time but she doesn't have anything to show for it well i mean so she this the show reminds us that she used to be chet's pa his back when she was probably um somewhere between madison and rachel's ages very young woman um and you know, she's got her own brokenness to and a fucked up relationship with her daddy that I absolutely think has to do with why she's dating a man old enough to be her daddy. But like, you know, she's running the show. She's making millions. She has a, a lot of creative control, especially in season one, when like her and Chet's relationship before it gets to like the really rocky patches, like she has full control. He lets her do whatever the fuck she wants on that set. Uh, as far as anyone's concerned, she's the boss. She's in charge. Chet, we the chat we meet in season one is always drunk, always loaded. So um he's not even in like the mindset to run that show. <laughs> right. Um, but I guess I say she has nothing because it's it's conditional, right? Because when her and Chet get on the rocks, then suddenly Chet has wants and if Chet feels like he wants to come in and run things, she kind of granted she can manipulate him to to her will, but it's still like People are definitely like sit up straighter when Chet is on set. Although, like, Very I mean, true. everything he like, no, because like you're right. Everything he does is complete buffoonery, and he doesn't know what he's doing. Like, because clearly she's been running this show, like she knows what she's doing. But it's it's all in sort of it's it's none of it is on paper. I guess. Right, exactly. Um, she doesn't have any sort of like legal um, clout or commitment because Chet is married 
And um, Chet's wife, I mean, I, I think they thought they were running game on somebody, but his wife is always in very well aware of their um, relationship. And she doesn't care because when, if and when Chet would die, she would get like a 40 million life insurance payout. Yo, that scene <laughs> in the hospital. <laughs> that shit took me. I, I was like, yes, bitch. You gotta let him know. <laughs> but like, listen, I felt so down. bad for Quinn. But at the same time, I'm like, listen, you thought you were running game on this lady. At the end of the day, she's not your problem she's not your enemy um you're the one out here like you know stepping into her marriage and she she's letting you know like with it with no preamble she was like listen you might think you have something here and you probably do thanks for taking him off my hands but i'm the one who's gonna have something if he passes yo when she said that that took me out <laughs> like when she was Ooh. like oh girl thank you for sleeping with him because that means that was one more thing i did not have to monitor i was like you're a real class ad quinn <laughs> I was like every single meme on Twitter. I was like, damn, I hate it. Like I was screaming because I'm like, when, when the wife first entered the picture, I was like, she can't be this stupid. She has to know they're fucking. So to like get like affirmation that she knows and she genuinely has no fucks to give really, really warms my heart. Um, <laughs> Oh gosh, it warms my heart so much. So, um, Quinn is her own sort of has her own demons and she isn't a good person either. Quinn really sucks. Um, all these people really suck. <laughs> uh, when Clint, when Quinn essentially like really wakes up to the fact, like in season one, when she really wakes up to the fact that that heart attack in- incident, by the way, that she doesn't really have anything out here, like nothing um, that's, that's real that she can hold on to truly and honestly. She, it's revealed to us, the audience, that she was actually the creator of Everlasting and that Chet, and that Chet took credit and that in truth, like it was all her, her idea and he plagiarized it and sold it to the network and that and he just sort of took her along. Mm-hmm. And when she goes to legally get back control, like goes to sue him, she it it can't work, right? Because the there's like a there's like an issue. So then she tries to go another route and uh, sue for damages for like their affair that they've been having. And that's when we realize that Chet, this whole time, Chet is not as dumb as he he makes himself out to be. Because when they start bringing up evidence of all these years of the affair, we find out that like Chet always paid cash. He never put his real name on anything. He always made sure that, like, there was plausible deniability so that should this day come, like, he was going to get off scot-free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's definitely been, you know, dotting his I's and crossing his T's, and that's fine. And the interesting thing about the show, well, not interesting, but kind of pathetic inside, is that throughout the series, the way that... um that Quinn is treated by like the network president makes it very clear that had she pitched Everlasting the exact same way, it probably wouldn't have ever become a show. And that right. Chet pitching the show as his idea is largely why it's on air, which is sad. It's really fucking sad. But she's tired of like not having her due. You understand me? And that's valid. It's her idea. And she does the grunt work. Like she's 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 the first in and the last out every single day. And she wanted more for herself. And I think in in the first season, but especially in the second and third seasons, 
it's actually easier to sympathize with Quinn than with Rachel. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like initially, initially when we meet Quinn, like I am re- like repulsed, <laughs> like same, um, <laughs> completely and utterly repulsed. And later on, like I'm still repulsed by her, but like, I definitely feel I'm just, I'm definitely just like, okay, girl. Sure. Valid, I guess. (laughs) So let's talk about some of the other major players in season one. We have two other producers that do what Rachel does, but not quite as well, called um, Jay. He's like a gay black man. And we have Shia, who's like, you know, who is arguably less scruples than Jay and um, Rachel do. I'll get into that in a minute. And then we have um, one of the cameramen on the show, Rachel's ex, Jeremy. Right. So Jay is, um, like you said, a producer and he sucks. Like, I feel like Shia doesn't, I don't, Shia is very racially ambiguous. So I can't definitively say what is her deal, but I feel like Jay and Shia are both cautionary tales of like, what happens when you, when you try to be as like, um, depraved as when you just try to be as depraved as like this white supremacist system wants you to be like it's just cautionary tales of what happens absolutely well I mean like Shia I thought was like kind of obviously POC I don't I don't know like I don't know what her ethnicity is either but I think that's what she was supposed to be and uh the interesting thing is like in season one Shia fucks with a mentally ill woman's uh, meds, Mary's meds. Like, Mary's on a lot of medication for depression and PTSD because of an abusive relationship with her ex-husband. And Shia thinks that she's, quote, like a robot. Uh, Their doctor, their on-in-house doctor, Dr. Wagerstein, is like, yeah, I mean, those meds will affect your personality. So um, Shia fucks with Mary's meds. And then Rachel and Quinn rev it up a notch by inviting Mary's ex-husband to set. He says something, which no one ever knows. No one ever knows because she's in a trailer along with him where no cameras are around. And says that one thing that's going to push her over the edge. And she ended up committing suicide while she was on the show. Who's to blame? Is it Shia? Is it Rachel? I put a lot of the heavy blame on Shia because I, I honestly... I can't even begin to rationalize messing with a mentally ill person's medication for any reason whatsoever. That's so interesting. Cause I put the blame equally on all of them because it's Quinn and Rachel who are both in particularly at the behest of Quinn who um, it's Quinn who was like, you know, she is the one that uh, initially is like, Mary is a robot. She, it's her, mm-hmm. it's that, Quinn makes that declaration of like, right. she can't do anything with Mary. Mary sucks. Mary isn't um, doing well. And then furthermore, Quinn at the beginning of this, I think in sort of, it's either the pilot or episode two, Quinn is the one that establishes those $7,000, $8,000 bonuses for mm-hmm. things that they can get the te- contestants to do. And they do, and I guess this is something that, like, I interned at a reality TV company, so I guess I just know this, um, and it's something I think that the show tried to make clear, but I don't think it did quite a good job of saying, in that they get paid, but they don't get paid that well. So those $7,000, $8,000 bonuses are, like, 
kind of a big deal. Um, and if you're under financial pressure, like yourself, cause like may- maybe you're barely making your bills. Like mm-hmm. I can understand how you're going to, you're going to take it to whatever, but ultimately it's Shia's fault because Shia put essentially put too much stock in, in Quinn and Rachel. And I guess in trying to please Quinn it, that like, that was her ultimate her thing she should have just been like girl fuck you yeah i mean that's where my mind is at too i do think they share the they there's plenty of blame to go around for mary's death but i absolutely think that um um shia loaded that gun um by messing with her meds because the show kind of shows you how her behavior was very erratic and unstable prior to even seeing her ex-husband again um very all over the place which is not just a symptom of her mental illness but a symptom of being abruptly taken off her medication (laughs) right and and she's drinking again and she's she's behaving erratically she's having these like these like very um this tantrum outburst behavior everyone on set can see it people feel threatened by her she's acting very very hostile long before the husband even gets there so um like do i think that the situation could have been different um if her husband um had not been invited to the set by rachel and quinn and that she wouldn't have killed herself on the show absolutely but she was headed to a bad end the moment shy decided to take it upon herself to fuck with this woman's meds and i'm just looking at these three people and um like you said about cautionary tale i thought it was super interesting how shia was the one who was fired even though rachel and quinn admit that like they the three of them killed that woman right yes (laughs) yes no yes because like they and they and that's I guess that's where I'm at because like they did because if you because particularly like when she starts behaving erratically um, and it's not in her nature and they've known this she's been there for like how many weeks they know that she's fine and then suddenly she starts behaving weird the fact that the therapist doesn't be like is what's up the fact that Quinn and Rachel are like what's going on like that nobody is like holy shit like. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of on everybody around here. Well, I'm not going to put it on them to have known that she was off her meds because, like, who could have guessed, right? But I definitely think, like you said, Dr. Wagerstein, of all people, should have known. Like, you're, that's, that's literally your job. Need your job. <laughs> <laughs> to, like, be like, um, this bitch is not okay. She needs to come see me for her session. <laughs> like, Dr. Wagerstein should have absolutely known. And Shia, obviously, like, saw the all this behavior leading up and she knew what she had done that would have been a good time to be like you guys listen i took this girl off her meds but maybe i shouldn't have done that slip her meds back into their little case please okay so let me ask a question so i I remember in an interview on vulture marty knoxon and uh, shapiro they gave an interview and they were talking about how after the suicide they thought they jumped the shark do you think that happened Um, yeah, this was actually what I was alluding to when we opened and you said that you thought this was the best written season. Although I agree with that, I think this should have been season two or three. Mm, Okay. Um, I like, it's just a lot, especially when we get to season four where Rachel's supposedly like, like give no fucks, Rachel here to do my job, Rachel. I think that's the Rachel that we should have met. The Rachel we meet in season one, who like comes off at first being contrite and hating her job and hating all the things she's done. Show me all the terrible shit she's done. Like show me the things she did in season two 
um, first and then show me this contrition that we got in season one. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's what I would have preferred. But yeah, I absolutely think that they jumped a lot. Like Mary's suicide was a lot. Uh, Jeremy's behavior was a lot. Um, I think there were some things that I would have preferred to have been eased into. Fair, fair. So let's talk about, let's talk about Jeremy for a minute. Jeremy, um, so when we were first introduced to Jeremy, all we know is that like Rachel had sort of had this breakdown essentially very publicly and Jeremy was her ex and, and Jeremy had since moved on. Now, if Jeremy was a smart person, he would have just stayed doing that. <laughs> he would have just Mm-mm. just stayed moving on, stayed with this new blonde girl, and would have never looked back. But here we go. Here we are. Life. Yeah, the new blonde girl is cool. She's like one of those shiny, happy people. And I think the show goes out of its way to like portray her as exactly that. Very shiny, very bubbly, very unjaded Um unmanipulative, doesn't have a mean bone in her body, basically the opposite of Rachel. Right. And that's the person, like, and also just, like, seems like, like, a really emotionally healthy and together person. She's very, she has a very sort of, like, mentally clear, I think, approach to Rachel. He's, he's honest with her. He's like, she's my ex. And she's like, okay, cool. Like, or, or he doesn't say something at first and she's like, listen, like, don't lie to me. Like, it's fine. It's not like big of a deal. I just, I need like clarity and honesty from you. She's like a a functioning person in the world. Exactly. Of which Rachel really isn't. And those don't last long at everlasting. I just want to put that out there. They really don't. Healthy, emotionally mature people do not last long on that show. (laughs) And yeah. And so essentially, I don't know that Rachel actually misses Jeremy as much as she misses the attention from Jeremy. I think that's probably the what Rachel misses the most, which she eventually gets it. Um, eventually, she, Rachel and Jeremy, Jeremy is like into Rachel again. And he comes to, you know, slip her some American loin, but she then realizes she prefers spotted dick. So <laughs> I hate you. Oh my god. I didn't understand where you're going at first, but when it hit, um (laughs) so the suitor Adam Cromwell is a Brit from a wealthy uh family royalty, in fact. He's Um, like a Duke or a Earl or something. Yeah, some shit. Um, Some shit. But he's trying to, like, make a name for himself and open his own hotel inn type situation and prove to his father that, like, I don't need your name for clout to get shit done. Um, Spoiler alert, he actually did need his daddy's name to get shit done. (laughs) White boys and daddy issues. God love them. (laughs) Hate to see it. Um, But, like, he's very into Rachel from Jump. It's very clear that he likes her. He likes her, like, kind of, like, no-nonsense. I'm not trying to butter you up. I'm not like these girls out here that, like, want you to want me situation. And he likes it. He's obviously very much one of those guys that um, likes a challenge. And he sees that in Rachel. And they actually become quite close. And even though she gets back together with Jeremy, um, you know, her and Adam hatch this idea to, like, just run away together and at, in the at the 11th hour, Quinn gets into his head 
And he he changes his mind, ultimately breaking Rachel's heart. Now, I want to say, though, I'm not going to put that all on Quinn. You're a grown-ass man, Adam. You're responsible for the choices you make. If you really want to be with someone, another person can't talk you out of it. <laughs> yeah, I hate... The, the thing, well, first of all, I want to say, I think the show does a really good job of, like, building the Adam-Rachel relationship, um, which is something that they will struggle with in season two, season three, and season four with, like, other sort of suitors I, or, like, other men that um, come into Rachel's life. Um, but this first season, how they, how it's paced and built is, is, is really well done. Yeah, um, I agree with that and i think we get a good look at the jeremy character too right because we knew they were exes but we didn't really know what their dynamic was like until like they get back together and they break up in season one and we kind of see like jeremy's kind of like i said he, everybody's broken here and he's his own brand of toxic he is his own brand of toxic even though well what incident are you specifically referring to um i think the incident i'm referring to actually um yeah, it probably happens in season two, um, where right. we see like the most dangerous side of Jeremy and like also the most predatory sides of Jeremy. But Jeremy definitely gives off hashtag nice guy vibes. Things didn't end badly with him and Rachel. She just had her legal trouble and then um, you know, was kind of a hermit for a while and they their relationship just sort of ended. But he definitely feels like entitled to an explanation maybe a fresh start and he's kind of exhausting to watch season one adam is and adam is actually a really interesting character because the show does a lot and shout out to freddie stroma who like after the show went on to do he's been in a lot of stuff since um not stuff that's like lasted but like he's <laughs> been uh he's been steadily working and he deserves because he's actually really good in this role. And he's very, the way he sort of interprets Adam and, and plays Adam makes me really feel for Adam. Um, I agree with that for sure. <laughs> and the show does a good job of making Adam sympathetic. Like when Chet pours Adam out in this like really weird sexual like situation where like Adam has sex with like the network's like wife while like the guy watches like I feel terrible for him <laughs> oh my god that was that was like again this was a yet another situation where I, I was like I could have been eased into this this could have been a season two <laughs> situation like yeah so the network president's wife wants some great spotted dick and Adam comes through um to try to like get help with his investment and it's like, on the one hand, like you feel, I kind of admire the fact that he's willing to do that just to be able to like be independent from his father. But like my heart is breaking for him. It's same. I, my heart breaks for him. Um, and then also we see that Adam is like, the, I think the greatest part about Adam is that like Adam is a good influence on Rachel and he's not like a monster. Like when his quote unquote friend comes the friend who was essentially dispatched by his dad to bring him home. Um, his friend comes from England who, whose real, his real purpose there was that Adam's father had sent him to be like, you need to come home. Like you're embarrassing the family or whatever. Um, when his friend rapes that girl, like he is, whew, he is like, yeah. it's like a no from him. It's like a hard no. 
that was another one that was like off the wall like roger the rapist that's what i'm calling him um and he like he like he there was a contestant maya who got drunk and roger you know raped her and uh that was another one that i felt like it was just so much we had this whole thing with Adam being whored out. We had Maya's rape. We had Mary's suicide. Um, we had Rachel going off the rails, on the rails, and back off the rails again. And I think the reason why Rachel was most hurt by Adam was because, like you said, he was a good influence and he wasn't a monster. And she let herself fall for this guy. And he hurt her most of all. <laughs> yeah, he really hurts her. And um, although, ugh, like... And I guess he's slick in that way that, like, she, you know, connected with and needed. Um, Because although every time they say, like, African AIDS babies, like, a koala dies, like, in the wildfires. (laughs) Fix it. (laughs) Fix fix it. it. (laughs) Like, I was like, this show was written by white women. (laughs) Like, Like, when that came out of their mouths, I was like, yes, this is white people write this show i feel this um uh, i could have told you within the first five minutes of the first episode like when we're introduced to quinn like throughout she's a flaming racist she's a flaming racist um in fact like it's wild because like there is and it's it's wild because then like when jay like because jay is in charge of i guess producing the black girls and it's amazing how interesting and something I guess that I find found illuminating was that he's producing the black girls and immediately the dark skin girl is like the angry black bitch and then like the the lighter skin black girl is like the nice one or she's the quote-unquote like uh better like more like demure one also the the uh, the dark skin girl her name is Athena the contestant that actress who they got to play Athena cannot do a Southern accent to save her freaking life. And I don't know why they made her do one. It's so terrible. Oh gosh. I don't, I honestly don't remember the black girls from season one as much as I remember the black girls from season two when Darius is on. (laughs) Like honestly, but didn't he, didn't he give them an option? Like he stood in front of the two girls and he was like, one of y'all gotta be the villain. Y'all gotta, one of you has to be the ratchet one. And then like the, the light skin girl was like, no, I'm a lady in the black, the dark skin girl is like, listen, I have a business to promote. (laughs) I guess it's like, no. Yeah. But I guess even just that idea, the fact that like, the fact that she immediately is like, to me, it felt like it was playing into like colorist notions, I guess. Yeah, no, I absolutely can see that. I guess the reason why I didn't take it in the same light was just because like, it was very clear, like to the to us, right? The audience of the show, not the audience of Everlasting, that this wasn't her real personality, and she was just like a businesswoman trying to play this position for a come up. Right. Um, so I was like, mm, I guess I'll let it slide. I guess. <laughs> I know. I know what I really hated was that, like, when she gets, uh, like in later episodes. She, oh, at and like when they're at like. Adam's vineyard or whatever she gets like Adam alone and she's like hey she tries to like cut a deal and she's like listen like whatever do whatever you want like but let's just like pick me in the end and like I'll help you like promote your business I just want to like do this I know we're not really into each other but like let's make this work for the both of us and then like he punishes her for it and then the show punishes her for it 
That was what I didn't like. That shit was crazy. And like, what was the reason? What was the reason? Whereas like when Faith does it, the gay character. Yeah. the, The show is very compassionate towards her for it. Right. And I think that was like, well, whiteness at work, but also the the show having a lot more sympathy for Faith. And I, I'm not even saying like, like everlasting and those like the microcosm of the characters. I mean, like the show writers of Unreal. Yeah, because same. there are so many lines that they happily cross with everyone else that they don't cross with Faith. Like they were about to ex- like t- they Rachel basically managed and produced this girl into getting ready to come out to her entire small Southern Mississippi hometown as a lesbian. But she's like, you know, when this show's over, this is going to be a really hostile environment for old girl. We probably shouldn't do this. But like, they didn't have any such qualms about like protecting and, um, and, and nurturing and giving support to other characters that way. And like Faith even talks about it when she's brought back as a therapist on a later season where she was like, you are my supporter. You are my cheerleader. You know, you are my refuge here. Like what happened to you? Like she doesn't know Rachel's always been this person. Cause Rachel wasn't that person with her. Right. When I saw that, I was like, well, where was all this energy for like Mary when you guys thought it was a good idea to bring back her abusive husband <laughs> Speak on it. uh, On air. Like, bitch, sit down. Like, who are you? (laughs) Speak on it. I mean, and and they go even further. So I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but one of the most distressing things was the prolonged torture. And yes, I'm going to call it torture of the season two suitor, Darius Beck. Right. Like, that shit was crazy what they put this man through. But we're going to talk about it in a minute. How do we feel about season one? Is it good, bad, or basic? I want to... See, now that you're bringing up the sort of how, like, it's back-to-back with, like, all this, like, like Roger the Rapist and and all these things. And, like, um, them sort of, like, manipulating Anna's bulimia against her and, like... Oh, that was so ugly. Like, God, like all this. And they didn't tell old girl when her father died. Right. Like all this stuff. I'm just like, yikes. But, um, but I do think the, but I do think, um, the show does a lot of things. Well, I do think it's written well. I think we get a very clear, complicated picture of Quinn and Rachel. I think Adam's character is done very well. I think, the contestants are done very well. I don't think we'll ever see the contestants done this well again after season one in terms of making them deeper characters. I mean, even Grace, who is so shallow, she they they do find a moment to deepen her during that spa thing where she starts having this freak out over being buried. Cause, right. Which, because, like, just that little small part, like, illuminates, I think where she's from and her heritage and like even just like that character. Um and they did they did also try to like show her softer side circa Mary's death cuz everyone was crying and like they kind of called her out like oh you don't care about Mary is that why you're not crying and she's like um you know I've been through a lot of shit in my life and I've shed a lot of tears I just have different ways of dealing with my grief now. Right. So so I do think those elements are great. I think I'm gonna, I want to put it on the edge. I mean, it's a good minus. I think I want to say good minus. 
that would probably be my rating as well. I do like you feel like the writing is strongest in season one. It's the themes that I wanted to see in like the back half where like Rachel starts to unravel. She starts to have real issues with what they're doing. Um, and then we kind of, you know, we, we might have like completed a redemption arc spoiler alert we never get a re real redemp redemption arc with anybody on this show but i would have liked to see these set of circumstances be the catalyst to a redemption arc for rachel um the writing is strong the supporting characters are strong and you guys know how i feel about pilots and pilots in particular i feel like a good pilot is a pilot that sets the tone and introduces you to your major players correctly and this show absolutely did that and mm -hmm the other episodes continue to build on the pilot. They don't like switch shit up in the final hour. <laughs> right. Um, I will say, so before we get into season two, I remember like when, when we were initially sort of talking about this show, I was like, sort of like, holy shit. <laughs> because like, I was like worried because um, I just remember being really, really repulsed by the sort of, critical reception that this show got particularly from like white female writers by the by the time season one finishes airing you have like white women writing about Quinn and Rachel being like this is like the most amazing example of like female friendship I've ever seen in a television show like Quinn and Rachel are like so powerful hashtag feminism um, <laughs> I love how your voice sounds like a mix of like Cher from Coolest and Tina Belcher from Bob's Burgers. <laughs> um, it's like, oh my God, Quinn and Rachel are like goals. Like, this is like so amazing. And there's, and, and around this time, essentially, and, and I know because one of the big sort of, I think, marketing and like talking points around this show uh, during and after the first season was like strong, complicated, like complex, complicated female characters, strong, complex female characters. I'm rooting for these complex people. And then I, and, and this was essentially after the first season, I was, I remember, you know, I thought it, but I didn't say it, but I was like, but when do we like hold the women accountable for just being shitty? <laughs> like, when do we do right. that? Um, and you know what? Are these characters complex? Yes, I'll give you that all day. From a psychological perspective, these characters are fascinating to watch because every single individual character on Unreal is a walking diagnosis. <laughs> that being said, complex is not the same as strong. Where is the strength when these people are literally preying on other people? Just There was no happy fuzzy feels. That's it. <laughs> Like, listen, if if you guys just want white women to be allowed to be trash, say that. Stop wrapping this shit up in, like, feminist wrapping paper. This ain't it, sweetie. Especially when you consider the things that they've done throughout the series. In no particular order, inviting a woman's abusive ex to confront her. Um ignoring a woman's rape and then later inviting both that woman and her rapist back to the show and setting her up to be raped. Like, how is this feminist? And thus we are led into season two. <laughs> <laughs> like, that um, really got me fucked up on this. Like, no. <laughs> and that's like, think that's troubling. I think the show does think it's like super feminist. It's, it's not. Like, 
And with that, we, we're entering to season two. So season two, we see Rachel and Quinn have both gotten promotions because this Mary because they were able to spin Mary's suicide into amazing ratings. And then also due to like Anna sort of running away from the altar, it was like really great ratings. Uh, Rachel and, and Quinn are both promoted. Rachel to executive producer. Uh, Rachel to, I mean, sorry, Quinn to executive producer and Rachel to um, showrunner. We kick the season off with like this sort of big party of um, Rachel and Quinn uh, debuting, I guess, the brand new Bachelor. I'm still calling him the Bachelor. Darius <laughs> to uh, one of the network execs, not the the not not the the network exec because he will come later, but one of one of somebody in upper management. So it's it's interesting because when Unreal came out, essentially every season of Unreal, The Bachelor always had something really slick to say about Unreal because they knew it was out there. And I remember like after this season of Unreal aired, that's when like The Bachelor franchise proper like went out and found like, you know, their first black lead, which didn't end up being a man, but um, was a woman. So that was interesting. So it's interesting to, I guess, compare and contrast or like think about this show in that context and and vice versa. In season two, they find, they purposefully, Quinn and Rachel purposefully go out and find um, like a racist white girl, essentially, to war um, with a like Black Lives Matter uh, contestant, Ruby. And they do the same. They ended up doing the same thing on on The Bachelorette, the Rachel season. They they found like Lee, who was an actual racist and like a Trump supporter. And Mm -hmm. they essentially tried to get one of the black guys to just fight with him the whole time. And Lee fights with Eric at first. And then I think Eric figures it out and he just stops taking the bait. And then the producers then manipulate uh, Lee and Kenny to fight with each other and then and they do for like a really long time and it's really and on that season on Rachel's season it was super ugly to watch Ooh, so look at life imitating art imitating life imitating art um, <laughs> um, but yeah the Ruby situation really distressed me because Ruby was actually enrolled at a university and was was produced at AK manipulated so well by Rachel that she uh, left school, left that semester to be on the show. And this white girl came on the show thinking, assuming that the bachelor would be one of the many white guys that had preceded him. She didn't know the bachelor was going to be black, but then she realizes it's pro footballer Darius Beck and he's her family's token Negro. So she's fine with it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Like they don't fuck with Negroes, but they fuck with Darius Beck. (laughs) Which I will say like the show, like, so this is where, so season two is definitely like such a mind on of unreal. It's such a minefield because I feel like this is where the show trips up, trips up because, um, yeah, I don't know what, what to make of season two a lot of the time because Rachel and Quinn expect the Confederate flag bikini girl's family to hate him. But I'm like, no, they're not going to hate him because 
he's one of the, he's the quote unquote, one of the good ones. That's not how racism, it's like they didn't understand how racism operated in the South. Yeah, I forget that white girl's name. It's not, it's not important. (laughs) But like Ruby, the black girl is supposed to be like her foil on the show um, to like generate drama. And Ruby is so fucking good and pure and beautiful and cute as a button. And I love her so much. And I actually think that of all the characters from of Everlasting on all four seasons, Ruby probably is the only one that got a happy ending. And I'm cl- I'm including the suitors in that because by the end of season two, Darius is so fucked up. He can't even play football anymore. And the show got his BFF killed. Right. When I say torture, they tortured this man, family. Tortured. And, and it's like, and Ruby's character is an interesting one because like she's, Ruby is really smart. Ruby's too smart to make some of the decisions she makes, like, or to do, and not even just, like, getting on the show, but, like, something that's weird is, like, when Jay, because Jay, I guess, like, grows a conscience, <laughs> like, in season two. He grows, like, half of a conscience. He's telling Ruby, like, oh, you've got to, like, put on makeup and be, like, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but, like, she wouldn't know that. Like, it felt like the show didn't understand how, like, real black women are you know what i mean she's she's smart and she's like thoughtful so there's no way that she knows how to like be pretty too too and then also it's like when jay is like don't when jay's like hey don't like you know take the bait and fight with like the confederate bikini girl i'm like yeah she wouldn't because like that's not really how black women comport themselves in like public predominantly white spaces like (laughs) We right. know that already. Like, it, it, it was, I I didn't, I don't know. And it's the worst because, like, that's the, season two is allegedly the season where there were, like, black women in the writer's room. So I was like, what what's happening? What's going on here? I do think that the Ruby character was actually quite well written. And I actually think Jay's responses were actually, like, appropriate to the Jay character. And I'm going to explain. Like, he's used to micromanaging black girls and basically talking to them like they're stupid for ratings on this damn show. But, like, Jay doesn't really have black black girlfriends like that from what the show has said. And he says in either season two or season three, quote, I don't have a problem with pretty white women. My mom's a pretty white woman. So he wasn't raised by a Negro either. Like a black woman. Like he don't know no better. (laughs) So I guess like if when you put it in that sense, like it it turns better. But there was a lot that like I didn't get. Megan Tandy is this is in this season. Shout out to Megan Tandy getting those checks. She plays Chantal. Oh my God. The Chantal character, and this is going back to what you said about season one and those characters being built up really well. After season one, the only characters that I think were like well developed was the racist white girl, because we got a whole backstory on her, went to her hometown and everything, and Ruby. The Chantal character was like, what the fuck? Because, like, okay, you have a dead fiance, but like the dead fiance is her whole personality. Right. <laughs> um,. There in episode six of season two, the therapist nook that the original therapist like sort of that was like sort of her reward. She got her own segment because like she even says it that like she's trying to be Doctor Phil. Um, Doctor uh, Wagerstein is a whole beep and a half. <laughs> she really is. During that sort of sequence, I think the show attempts to make these characters deeper, but like it fails because. Because season two's problem is that, like, it's too wrapped up in bigger ideas. 
but it doesn't know what it really wants to say about these bigger ideas. Going into season two, Vulture had done an interview with Shapiro and they were like, oh, what's in store for season two? And her answer was that they're going to be, they're really interested in like exploring like misogyny and like toxic and like why men feel like feminism is toxic and like MRA stuff and like who perpetuates misogyny and you can see that, but like, they're not really, but the show doesn't really say anything about it. If that makes sense. Uh, Yeah. I completely agree with that. There were, we had this little like round circle open group therapy session, which first of all, group therapy is a horrible idea in a competition show for myriad reasons. Um, um, not the least of which is these people might use this information against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but like we have this like little round circle and there's a room and there's lots of pillows and it's supposed to be like, oh, kumbaya, let's hold hands. Let's like, you know, you know, make it like, like let's be friends or whatever. But like Wagerstein is really trying to flex her muscle as a therapist and like show people like she's got the juice. But is she really committed to like helping these women? Not really. Yeah, no, she's just there to, like, get her money and go, get her money and her exposure and bounce. So the bulk of season two is, like, I guess sort of taken up in this, like, war between Chet and Quinn, essentially. So Quinn will come back and take the showrunner position from Rachel. She'll take it back um, to just do it herself. And that really gasses Rachel. And Rachel attempts to go over her head to upper management and then fails. (laughs) <laughs> right it doesn't then, work out the way she thinks it does yeah enter coleman wasserman a documentary filmmaker and mega douche so i've spoken with alex about this in private but like one of the things that this show does and i call it the tvd model of rehabilitation is to not actually make your characters better people but introduce a character that's so much worse <laughs> that you'll root for the shit person <laughs> <laughs> Listen, and Coleman Wasserman is that shit person. When too many new people get start getting introduced, I feel like that's like the first distress signal of a show that the show like is is having trouble. To be honest, at this point, right? It's a it's a distraction. Like, let me throw this new person in here so that we can ignore this thing that I haven't wrapped up or don't know how to wrap up or like ignore this theory that I haven't fully explored. It's a very clear distraction. Coleman Wasserman is a very good distraction because I think he was, and this is something I would have liked to see, like maybe in season three as well, is like he takes a broken Rachel who was broken further by Adam and like basically like takes the splinters and smashes them with a hammer. (laughs) Right. Um, And it's ugly because I feel like Rachel keeps looking and I guess this is something that will be more about that's illuminated further in season three and season four, but Rachel's essentially looking for like a man to save her. Like Mm -hmm. that's what she's looking for. That's, that's one of the third lines of this character that like starts to make sense or, or feels better. But I know that the show doesn't like that. I, th- I don't think it's intentional by the show. That's what she wants more than anything. And I guess it's because yeah. uh, of something that's illuminated in, in the later seasons of her, her father not saving her from her mother. Right. She's she has a lot of trauma and we can deal with, we can actually talk about that more in season three. That's when like the stuff that they've hinted at is actually like 
really and fully divulged. But right. um, actually, no, it's fully divulged in season two. She tells Coleman that she was raped by one of her mother's patients. And like, this is Rachel's attempt at healing, actually, which I thought was actually really beautiful, even though it was like she she aimed it at the completely wrong person. She was like, I really want to be with this man. So I'm going to be fully honest with him. And like within five minutes, he uses that information against her and basically tells her that she'll never be loved. Right. He's trying to get the dirt. He's trying to get some new fodder for his new documentary or whatever, um, because his first one was a whole ass lie um, that he funded. Like he 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 hired um, um, Chinese actors to pretend to be like Thai street prostitutes in his first documentary. Um so now he wants some real story and some real juice. Like, I had my suspicions about him, but they were pretty much set in stone when she goes back to her mother to go into an, ap- an, an, an inpatient facility and he brings her out of there. She's still incredibly drugged up, not lucid at all. And he's got a camera in her face trying to make her talk about, like, the dirt behind Everlasting. And that's when you knew, like, for sure that Coleman was trash. Right, right. He's there to kind of make us, to minimize all the shit that Rachel has done to Darius. But then we get a very stark reminder of just who Rachel is and what a manipulator she is when she basically produces or manipulates Jeremy into taking care of Coleman and this reporter. And he takes care of the situation by killing them. He cuts the brakes on Coleman's car. And this is something that the sh- this is the one thing the show got right because we actually they foreshadowed that someone would die in a car accident in the beginning of the season when Chet takes Rachel for driving his new mm-hmm. car and she's car. driving yeah right and then he like steps on her foot and steps on Which the was gas terrifying terrifying but like he takes his foot off of hers and she breaks. like the last split second like for me this was like a a foreshadow that someone would die in a car accident but i didn't think it would be coleman obviously um but he and this reporter die jeremy's responsible for it and i'm sure a case can be made that like well she didn't tell jeremy to kill them but she told jeremy take care of it i'm drowning i can't fix this problem right now i need someone to fix it And she knows Jeremy well enough to know exactly how to push his buttons. Right. And she's aware enough to know that he still, at least in his mind, but what constitutes as love for her. So she knows she'll get it. Right. He still has love for her. And and more importantly, he still thinks there's a chance for them. And this is responsible for what he ends up doing. So by the end of season two, Jeremy... Quinn, Rachel, and Chet are, like, in on this major fucking secret that they've more or less killed two more people. <laughs> right. And so, and I remember when that happened, and I and I fully agree with everything you said. I was like, wow, like, Rachel wholesale manipulated Jeremy into killing someone. <laughs> I remember, like, that the discourse being like, well, Jeremy just, like, did that all on his own. And, like, a woman cannot be responsible for a man's choices. And I was like, wait, bitches, really? Right. One thing I appreciated about the show itself is that even though she denies what she did in season three, by season four, she actually says, I 
produced Jeremy into killing Coleman and that girl. Um, I knew what I was doing and it felt good having that kind of power over someone. So the character literally admits what she did. Right. Which so is, I was like, thank yeah. you for that because these these critics out here are obviously in denial about who Rachel they is. They are. They're in such denial. I'm telling you, through like the run of this series, like the talk that surrounds this show is like, you would think Rachel and Quinn were like the greatest people. Like, and it's until you actually... I guess unless you actually watch the show. So something that I I kind of thought was interesting, it was this sort of relationship that developed between like Chet and Jeremy and like Chet, I guess, getting into like this whole like self-improvement mantra or something. <laughs> like right. um, it's, it's supposed to be like MRA language, which it is. But at the same time, some of it like, kind of makes sense. It's like, yeah, like you should be like really self-reflective and like think about why are you making the choices you're making? I mean, there's obviously going to be a little bit of like real truth sprinkled in every shit philosophy, including MRA, right? But like the stuff that Chet told Jeremy in particular about like holding yourself accountable every time he was like, well, Rachel, he's like, nope, that's blaming. You got to hold yourself accountable. I thought that was legit. Right. Same. I was like, this is legit. (laughs) Like, the chat we meet in season two has cleaned up his act. He's not on the pills anymore. He's not on the booze anymore. I didn't think that shit would stick, but it actually did because of the the very thing he's telling Jeremy. You have to hold yourself accountable. And I think it's interesting that the viewers of the show fail to do that and that we talk about toxic masculinity all day long, but here we have these two toxic women and toxicity in women is somehow synonymous with strength. How? How? Right. Or like, it's somehow justifiable. How? And it's not that Rachel and Quinn don't go through their own sort of hurdles in terms of sexism, because they do, and we see it on the show. But like, what they do to other people, I think, complete, like, vastly outweighs, vastly outweigh this idea of sort of maybe cutting a few corners in order to overcome, like, barriers due to discrimination based on your sex. And I think for me, the larger issue is, like, I can see a case being made for literally almost all of their behavior if the people they were hurting were the same people that had hurt them. You can't be like, person A hurt me, so that justifies me hurting person B. Right. Like, that that's not how that works. You can't be like, well, someone else hurt me and broke me. So that gives me license to go around and hurt and break some, a completely unrelated, innocent person. Like, honestly, if you take a shot for every time Rachel's like, I understand. I mean, I'm a feminist. You would die of, of alcohol poisoning. She really, like, uses feminism as, like, a buzzword, as a shield to protect her from accountability when she gets called out. Right. So let's talk quickly about the friend that gets killed, Darius's friend that gets killed. That was a whole fuck show. Um, that was a whole hot mess. Now, I would say in Rachel's case, just like with Mary, I don't think she meant to get this guy killed. She didn't. She really did not. But her reactions were that of a typical white woman, a.k.a. someone who doesn't understand fully the gravity of the situation. Because when she's running out of the the trees, Jay's the one who told her no, right? No, don't do it, because they're going to, like, startle the police. But it was her idea to call the police in the first place. So Darius goes 
off campus with his bestie slash manager, but they have a very Cam Reggie type of relationship. Right. Um, if, if you listen to our Survivor's Remorse episode, he goes off campus with his bestie and two of these women, and they think they're away from the cameras, but Rachel and the cameras are following, and Rachel called the cops because she wants to see them pull over and get that shit on camera. So her mind is like, they'll recognize that it's Darius Beck, so nothing will happen. But they don't recognize it's Darius Beck, and Darius doesn't have his ID on him. And in rolls the drama. She escalates the situation by running out of the bushes, startling the police who kill um, his best friend. And somehow manage to keep Darius on the show. Psychotic. Psychotic. So, so I remember when this episode came out, like people, like black people, like black women, like went up about it. Shapiro then proceeds to throw her female, her black female writers completely under the bus uh, to the point where like one came out and they were like, I completely objected to this episode. I objected to this scene. Right, right. And I think that's ugly that she would even do that. Um, be like, instead of taking responsibility, because you know that you're the showrunner and that won't shit make it to the final cut without your approval. Um, and taking responsibility for that, you'll be like, um... Uh, you know, she's like, you know what? Defer to the Negroes. They okayed it. Um, <laughs> like my black friends, y'all. <laughs> like, right, right, right. Um, and that whole situation was super ugly to me. Like speaking on the show now, like or the characters, because um, Darius's um, friend had told him like, don't go, like like over and over again. Like this is not a healthy environment for you. This is not good for you. And I think he knew, like, shit was about to hit the fan when they exploited Darius's previous injury, got one of the girls to tackle him, which fucked up his back completely. And that's the that's season two. So what's your grade on season two? I mean, the Ruby character's arc aside, which I thought was beautiful, knowing what the backstory of, of Rachel's trauma, which I thought was necessary, the rest mm-hmm. of the season was very basic. Gosh, I don't even know that I put it into basic. Yikes. I, there's such a harsh dip in the quality from season one to season two. Watching them back to back, it's like, whew, this is dipped. You know, that's true. But like, I, my mind was just stuck on what happened to season one, Rachel? Like, why the fuck are you still on this show? Like, and this is why I say like the season, what happens in season one, all of that shit could have been put in season three and four. Cause I'm like, why are you still here? Seeing this person do these horrible things and then pretending to be so conflicted and like, I'm so hurt and I don't want to do this was really exhausting. Same. Cause I think I put season two under like, it's in that line between bad and basic. I think for me. That's fair. I mean, honestly, if we throw the Jeremy character into there, too, I'll be like, "Mm." So then season three. Season three opens with Rachel is once again off somewhere trying to, I guess, deal with what she's done. I feel like the show writes these little um, things of like, oh, Rachel's off trying to deal with her of what she's done. So, like, empathize with her, y'all. But, like, I don't. Yeah, same. I'm just like, no, she's she deserves to be in jail. <laughs> like right, she right. um Timmy's jail cell. Uh but um the show definitely wants it to be sort of like a it's okay, you guys. She feel like she feels really bad about it. So like it's okay, you guys. <laughs> Which to be honest, again, very... the T V D model of accountability. Just say you feel bad and that's enough. 
And honestly, that feels very like liberal white, like white women, like white women. So I'm just like, okay, I guess that tracks like in a, in a larger sense. But like also fuck your feelings. <laughs> right. Like, But then we're back on the everlasting set because this time it's a bachelorette. It's a woman. Women power. Yay! And it's a white woman, of course. Scared. I was scared going in with the Serena Wolcott character, but I'm glad with what the show did with her, and I'm going to go into that in a minute. But yeah. Yeah, Serena actually ends up being super, super smart or in super together for the most part. Yeah, so the first time I'd seen this actress, Caitlin Fitzgerald, because, you know, I only started watching Unreal when we agreed to to discuss it, um, was actually on, uh, I think it's on HBO or Stars, a show called Sweet Bitter. It was kind of refreshing to have a woman, a white woman on this show who wasn't a manipulative um, person. That was really refreshing. Right. We're, we're dealing mostly with male contestants who aren't any better developed. The show doesn't, I don't think, ever gets back to that season one quality of the contestants being clear and their motivations being clear and um, them being well-developed. But because we'll get this, like, guy, he's clearly biracial or, like, some sort of, like, racially ambiguous guy. He's, like, a cop or he was, like, in the military or something. And he's a single father. Yeah, yeah. He's a firefighter and ex-military. Right. He's, so he's ex-military and he has a single daughter, and he is probably the best person for Serena. He's, in terms of just, like, he's very transparent. He's very honest. He wants people to be honest with him. But then they will, like, make him do weird MRA, like, toxic stuff at, like, the last minute to, to like, get you not on his side, and it doesn't, and it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I started hating this dude off rip when he does in his camera confessional. He talks about how his his daughter's mother left him. And so for him, feminism just means women abandoning their families. And I'm like, cry me a fucking river. <laughs> right, but then, like, right, which, yeah, you kind of hate him off rip. But then, like, none of his actions, like, or, like, initially his actions with Serena are, like, the other the other sort of things that he thinks doesn't, like, reflect that sort of mindset. So then, right? I'm, I'm like, are you an ally or are you a piece of shit? What is going on? Going on, <laughs> and and essentially, it's like so. Then it feels like the show wrote that to be like, oh, see, he's complex, you guys. But it's like, no, <laughs> or like, or I think it was like even worse. Or like, you know what? Like, you don't have to support feminism in order to support women or be a good man, because like, there's a lot of women and men who think that like feminism is like like some propagandist agenda to like usurp men or punish men, uh-huh. um, which is exactly how he framed it too. Like feminism just means that you abandon your family and shit. Like, like women's rights equal pay. He's not even talking about that. He's like, no feminism is like you abandon your family. Um, so we have this person with a warped perception of what feminism is, but like, he's also like a gentleman and very thoughtful and very caring. So it's like, you see this feminism shit is bullshit. Just find a good man. Right, which and that doesn't make any sense. And <laughs> I understand what they're trying to do with the character because, like, I I've met that t- not like the type of guy who's like feminism is bullshit, but like I understand somebody who's like they've just never really thought about it, but their actions are feminist. Yes, and like yes, their yes. mindset is feminist. Like when you ask them about and 
their actions and their mindset is very feminist, but they don't necessarily identify with feminism, mostly because, like, they've never thought of it or they don't have academic language in that way. Because mm-hmm. I do know right. that. But uh, this show, once again, this show doesn't know what it's doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and if we're honest, a lot of feminist women come into feminism with that mindset, too. Like, we're feminists long before we start calling ourselves that, right? Like, we, we like, identify with certain feminist theories or, or, or feminist practi- praxis before we use the term. Let's talk about, in season three really quick, let's talk about this therapist that's sent from Quinn to watch Rachel. Right. So they get rid of Dr. Wagerstein, which was much overdue. And, <laughs> and she, she tells this man, quote, keep an eye on Rachel. Um, like, like from a purely professional standpoint, he takes that in the most literal sense and puts a camera in Rachel's trailer. <laughs> it's disgusting. He's got eyes on her day and night. And then when Quinn finds this camera, he's talking about, well, I thought she was a danger to herself. And it's like, cool story, bro, but this is, like, legitimately predatory. Right. (laughs) And, you know, we also, like, even before that happens, um, he actually, like, is a decent therapist insofar as counseling Rachel on what to do with her father. Because in this season, Rachel confronts her rapist, her father... And her mother, her rapist gaslights the hell out of her, still, like, in denial about what he did and continues to lie that this was consensual between them. Her mother is still lying and saying that, you know, the reason she didn't press charges was to protect her daughter rather than protect her really controversial experimental practice. And her father's been heavily medicated by her mother for all these years into complacency. And she try- she gets her father away from her mother and tries to wean him off the lithium that her mother has him on, but to no avail. He he checks himself out of the hospital after she paid, like, I think, what, was it 25, 50 grand to get him in a treatment center? And then yeah. goes right back to her mom, which was which was sad, because, like, this was, like, the first time where I thought Rachel was legitimately trying to do the right thing for the right reasons. Right. I like it, because then it, I think it did illuminate sort of Rachel's relationship with the men in her life. But yeah, that whole thing is, God, it was, it was horrible to watch. For me, Uh, this also deeply illuminated her relationship with Quinn. Like we knew she had mommy issues from jump. When we, we juxtapose Quinn and her mom, her mom is so toxic that she actually makes Quinn seem like a good deal. (laughs) She does. Like it, it absolutely then you realize why Rachel is so codependent with Quinn and like why sort of Quinn um, is able to, and you really see the extent to which Quinn takes advantage of Rachel in terms of Rachel sort of searching for this mommy figure. Like Alex and I are big fans of mental health treatment, but like this show really hates mental health professionals. It really does. displays them as 50 shades of fucked up and manipulative themselves. Dr. Wagerson was probably the least fucked up and she was fucked up. fucked up. And then we have Rachel's mom. And then we have um her season three therapist who not only spied on her after he got fired, he was on some, like, I feel like there's something between us, which is who the layers of unethical you guys. <laughs> Ooh. Oh gosh. It was so disgusting. He's trying to get with her like, she did make a move on her therapist, but 
she does have borderline personality disorder. She does express that through promiscuity. It completely makes sense that she would, when she feels close to a man, she would try to cross boundaries. And he did, to his credit, push her away. But after he got fired and he's like, listen, I'm no longer your therapist. You want to be together? And it's like, there's a reason Ew, why gross. it's unethical to be with someone you've been a therapist to. It does not think highly of, of mental health professionals at all. So in season three, like, I think the big overarching thing is is Serena and, like, these guys. And she... And then her... Serena also sort of dealing with her own hangups. Um, this season, Quinn, like, wholesale starts having sex with the contestant, which is, like, okay... Yeah, so Quinn isn't like a Rachel. She doesn't like hop from guy to guy when she's dealing with shit, but like her, she ended a major relationship um, in season three when it was revealed that her chances of conceiving were next to none. And so she breaks up with this guy pretty harshly and unceremoniously because she doesn't want to disappoint him. And she like soothes her wounds by fucking one of the Australian contestants named august i think that's when we kind of see a quinn that's unraveling because quinn is a fucked up person but she's also someone who's portrayed as always holding it down and always holding it together but quinn also has like a great like breakthrough at the end of season three she realizes what she's done to rachel and rachel had been saving money for like this dream cabin or whatever and she knows Rachel spent the bulk of her money getting her father into that treatment facility that he left. So Quinn actually gives Rachel the money for her cabin, no strings attached, and tells her, be free, live your best life. She literally, like, makes a real, genuine, sincere attempt to cut the strings between them, which I thought was, like, real growth on her character's end. She gets a little bit more growth than Rachel. If you were ever in doubt that she did have some sort of affection for Rachel, like, she proved it. Like, I really do care about you, and I was wrong to keep you here on this show so long. So one of my biggest things with Unreal, and I think one of the things that makes this show, like, really, really hard to watch is that, like, the show really lacks, like, a moral compass. Like, somebody with, like, a true moral compass that, like, points north. There's no, like, moral actor to help like reground the show amid Rachel and Quinn's uh, machinations. And Serena ultimately, I think in a sense was that. And I think that's why like season three is one of the more like, I think easier seasons to watch. Right. And like I said, I would have appreciated, let's say if our um, season four was our season one, our season three was our season two where like Serena ultimately chooses herself and puts Rachel in her place. Then we get the contrite Rachel of season one as season three. Um, and like see a character arc of like redemption of Rachel and Quinn from season three to four, where they actually do the work. They're actually held accountable. And that would have been a show that I would have liked to see. Right. Same. Um, so season three, where you, where, what are you grading it as? Because I thought the Serena character was actually very well established, um, even if her suitors were not. Um, and um, I liked this more selfless side of Rachel in regards to her father and the selfless side of Ra of Quinn in regards to Rachel. I'm going to give it like it's a good minus. All right. I'm going to I think I'm putting it at a solid basic. 
Fair. <laughs> Listen, a lot of basic shit happened that season. <laughs> <laughs> so we come to our final season of, of Unreal. And by this time, like, the show has, like, really fallen off. I know, like, it's not... People... I think the, the buzz around it definitely goes down. Um, in fact, Lifetime cancels it after season three. It only gets the pickup from Hulu um, for season four. And even then, it's... Um, it's only eight episodes, which all of our previous seasons have been 10, which you usually know, like, once they shorten the episode order, that's that's the final death knell for your show. It sure is. Um, it's interesting. Um, it's almost like the, the Hulu had never watched the previous seasons because it's like <laughs> this give no fucks. Rachel literally doesn't fall in line with the Rachel who's like constantly conflicted and like mentally conflicted throughout seasons one to to three this is why i feel like this like carefree give no fucks rachel is a rachel we should have met um Um, and it's interesting because i think this is the rachel that was probably carefree like this quote-unquote carefree give no fucks rachel is the rachel like right before her initial breakdown Right. That's why we should have seen that shit in season one. Right. Like, this is exactly the sort of person she should have gone into the season one as. And then, um, let's say you wanted to throw any one of the themes that they gave us, like Mary's suicide, Maya's rape, that happens. And then the season, the season one Rachel that we got should have been like the season two one, the contrite one, the conflicted one, the distressed one. Um, but season four, Rachel lightens her hair and lightens her attitude. You guys, <laughs> she's, um, and she's full, like, and I mean, I guess like we understand, like she's full, she's off, she's off it. <laughs> like this is, um, she's definitely not like making the best choices for herself. She's not making the best choices for anyone. We see she is fully sort of in this showrunner position that she has, I guess, sort of fought for. And but she's not like a help on set. Like she's actually so Quinn and Rachel absolutely produce and um encourage like a hostile work environment particularly Quinn in the early seasons, Rachel kicks that hot hostility up to like 10. If Quinn like let it sit at like a five, Rachel kicks it up to 10. Um, right. She does a lot of things, especially in this season that even Quinn is like, are you serious? Yeah. You crossed the line. <laughs> right. And like, why did you come back? That's another question. Like seasons one through three, I'm asking, why are you here? But season four, she gets her money, no strings attached. She gets her cabin and Jeremy's words that she'll always be alone and that it's probably for the best that they both be alone forever, replay in her head. And so she goes back to the place, one place she feels appreciated, the toxic set of everlasting. Quinn did not ask her to come back. Quinn did not beguile her to come back. But she comes back, and Quinn is actually in a much healthier place. She's still with a much healthier version of of Chet. Um, She's relaxed. She's happy. And um, she's a lot less bitter, and it shows. But Rachel, um, in the one month that Quinn took vacation, feels abandoned and is acting out. Right. It's crazy. Um, she should have never come back here. She had no reason to come back here. But when she does come back, she brings all of her unresolved trauma with her. She decides to bring Maya and her rapist Roger back for, quote, confrontation and closure, quote, unquote. A whole mess. A whole 
uh, just a whole mess. Yeah. Um, in so doing, when she can't get the reaction that she wants out of Maya in a group therapy session, she essentially sets up another contestant, Noelle, to be raped. And Jay, the other producer, when like when he and Quinn see this happening, Quinn sends Jay running in there. And he and Maya save this girl, Noelle, from being raped literally in the nick of time. And it's particularly ugly because when Noelle comes on the show like noelle is really specifically because the format is also different this year this um in this season four like the it's more like it's less the bachelor and it's more like bachelor in paradise for anybody who knows like bachelor in paradise and has that frame of reference it's like guys and girls and like they're sort of choosing each other um noelle is specifically there for one person And she makes that clear from the get-go. She's there to get this one specific guy that, like, she was into and who was into her. And and it's, like, a whole thing. Right. This is Everlasting All-Stars this season. So they've bought back some people who didn't get chose or didn't make the right choice in previous seasons. And she's there for Rodrigo, who she got to the final two for, but then he ended up choosing the other girl. And, um... This insecurity um, that she he will, like, reject her yet again is one that um, Rachel plays with and ultimately tells this girl, like, listen, he's not checking for you, so go off and be with Roger, um, who has rebranded himself as a feminist, by the way, um, and knowing what he is. And again, she was on the verge of being raped. He was seconds from penetration before Jay and Maya came running in that room. Right. The whole thing is a mess. But we get some messy shit from other people this season. Two of the highlights are Zach Quinn finds out that she's pregnant with August's baby. August, who Rachel also starts fucking this season. And Jay screws over his handsome, talented, solid, good black boyfriend and then spirals into a rebound relationship with a closet closeted contestant named Alexi whom he procures drugs for. I hate it. Mm. He had, like, his boyfriend was so good. Like, his boyfriend is the reason why he was able to pitch this amazing show that and that Quinn ends up making and Alexi hosts and just threw it all away for, like, what? Like, like, dick? And closeted dick at that? And communi- community closeted dick that you can right. purchase with Coke? I hate it. I hate it. Sir. Exactly. It's so sad. So sad. And then Rachel actually meets her, her soulmate, honestly, in this man named Tommy Castelli. Tommy is just as void of morals and conscience as Rachel is. And he loves that about her. Like he's, it's not a Coleman Wasserman situation where he's trying to manipulate her at all. Like she's a shit person and he's a shit person too. And he loves it. Like he feels like he's met his match and he's really here for her. But at the 11th hour, Quinn throws him under the bus to save Rachel and him believing that Rachel's in on it. Like he leaves, he leaves her. Right. And then the series ends with Rachel pulling it together and showing up to Quinn's place and crawling into bed with Quinn and it, and like Quinn sort of holding her and it's supposed to be redemptive. And I think the show wants me to like be happy that like, in terms of, like, oh, see, like, the two 
people who are like the real soulmates, like this female friendship of Quinn and Rachel, like, aren't you, don't you feel like great about this ending? And then like the everlasting set, like is burned to the ground. I think I'm supposed to like feel good, but it's like, no. Right. I mean, they ruined Tommy's career, but he's probably like the least screwed over person they ruined Darius's career. They killed a responsible, like either killed directly responsible for the death of a lot of people. And at the end of the series, Quinn says she lost her baby. And then Rachel says something very interesting. She's like, you didn't lose a baby, did you? Which alludes to the fact that Quinn might've had an abortion. And then Quinn's like, it doesn't matter. And then Rachel says, we're not going to be able to get past this one. Are we? And Quinn's like, no, we're not. Now, prior to this, um, Rachel shows up at the house with a pie and tells Chet to eat it because she made it. And I thought the thing that they were, like, not going to get away with was that, like, she had come to the house to poison Chet. Because <laughs> that's how low I think of Rachel. I'm I mean, like, Rachel wouldn't be past poisoning Chet with a pie. I mean, it, it, listen, it's plausible. It's plausible. Like, um, it's so out of character to like for her to give baked goods homemade baked goods and to chet of all people like i didn't understand the point I'm like did she poison chet did they poison chet and burn down the everlasting set so something that becomes like a visual like signature of the show is like will be quinn and rachel in these lawn chairs on the set of everlasting um the sort that each season will sort of either open or close with them or like uh, that or Quinn and Rachel sitting in these lawn chairs will be like in the penultimate episode of like a season. And before Rachel gets to the house, Rachel is sitting in one in the lawn chair on the everlasting set and she's smoking a cigarette and we get a close up of the cigarette burning. I think we're meant to understand that Rachel's burned down the set, but like wh- why? Like, so like all of it, I'm just like, why what's happening? This is what kills me. The why. She absolutely did. I absolutely think we're supposed to infer that. She may or may not have poisoned Chet. That might just me be being, like, projecting because I've never seen Rachel bake and she's kind of a shit person. But, like, why? When, like, you're not in a hostage situation, right? Like, you both work on the show. You can quit. But it's one of those situations, like, well, we can't let the man gain control. Um, You know, the Coleman's, the Chet's of the world we can't let them control the show because this is my vision but at the but same time the show's bad for me hard. so i'm just gonna or but at the same time the sh- being on the show is bad for me so if i can't if i don't want it nobody should have it so i'm gonna burn it down that's what i got from that i hate it i hate all of it <laughs> same that's it that's all i got <laughs> like, um how would you season four was hell in a handbasket same <laughs> I feel like season four is a solid bad for me. It's very bad. Um, like I said, I, I think that should have been our first season, minus the burning down the set, obviously. But these are the people we should have met going in in season season one, and then we see them slowly, like, the shit escalate, and then them come to their senses and make a redemption arc and be held accountable. Um and we don't really get that. Like you say, they're in bed together. They're the real soulmates. They're the real friends. All they have is each other. Like, Popo is not knocking on the door to arrest these bitches. Like, nothing happens. <laughs> and they deserve, like, they deserve to go to jail. Yes, absolutely. Um, things. <laughs> they deserve to lose their careers or go to jail. There needed to be some sort of permanence 
to um, of, of accountability for them, and there wasn't any, and it 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 sucked. So, what was the grade for you? You said bad, right? Yeah, um, but like in terms of like an overall show grade, like all four seasons, I don't. I think it's basic. I'm gonna give it like a basic minus, honestly, and that's just because nobody grows on this show. Um, nobody's besides uh, Serena. There weren't even any characters that I felt were like relatable and good. Um, I liked Serena. I liked Grace. I really loved Ruby. Um, that's about it. Um, Faith was a good character as well. But like, e- like even the producers, for example, Shia and Jay think they're so much better people than Rachel. But Shia fucked with the woman's meds. Jay was out here giving a recovering addict um, drugs so that he could get his dick sucked. Like, you're not good people. You're not. Mm-hmm. You're not right. (laughs) Like, and I'm trying to think. And then also I think something that like hindered the show was the sort of the re like the sort of restructuring of the everlasting, like, I don't think helped every season. Um, In fact, I don't know. I don't understand why it couldn't have been. So you have first season and it ends with like Anna running away from Adam like, I don't understand why you don't bring back Adam again to go through the whole cycle again in season two. Because they've done that before, like, on The Bachelor. And, like, so, and then, you know, continue to sort of resolve issues in that manner. Right. The issue with Everlasting All-Stars, which we see in season four, is that we don't know any of these people except for Maya, Roger, and um, August. Like, we don't know right. these people. We don't know these so, people. I don't care about them. And you're doing nothing to build them up. <laughs> right. Either. Right. I don't, I don't care about them. And you like, and it, it feels like you're there throwing spaghetti um, at the wall or like they're trying to do shocking stuff. Like with the, like with the girl who's a stripper or something. Mm, C- Candy Coco. Love her. Candy Coco. <laughs> it feels <laughs> like weird and random. I needed I needed that or or something. So one of the things that happens also that I guess it's famous is like so Marty Noxon and, and Shapiro sort of start the show together and Marty Noxon leaves in like bad blood I think after season 1. Um and honestly it shows cuz there's a dip. <laughs> there's a huge dip in the quality of the show. Um after Marty Noxon leaves because I do think Although there are a bunch of problems in season one, there is, there's something there that I'm like, okay, maybe like you'll refine it in season two. You know what I mean? Right. And, but the fact that she leaves is like, it it doesn't get refined. It just gets worse. Right. And I remember saying to you when I was watching season one, I was like, these characters are trash, but they're fascinating because like I said, everybody is a walking diagnosis on Unreal. Um, But I felt like a lot of the brokenness that I saw in Rachel season one was a lot of that stuff that I saw in Buffy, like post-resuscitation Buffy um, in the Buffy series. And a lot of like, Quinn's manipulations and also Rachel in later seasons reminded me of the Faith character a lot. 
Mm -hmm. um, right down to right down to the needing a father figure, needing a man to save her. Um, and I was like, okay, so we're gonna like we're gonna like jump into it. We're gonna get to the meat. We're gonna find out what's fucked up with these people and why they're fucked up, and like give them this great redemption. And I feel like we did get a great redemption with characters like Faith and Buffy, but Rachel and Quinn never got there. Never and got it was, there. It was so unsatisfying. It's unsatisfying. And like, they were just, they were so repulsive. Like they were so repulsive. Um, and there was nothing that was ever done to, to, like you said, to satisfy that or to make that better. So... In fact, we just kept getting worse, not only worse behavior, but like the storylines also were not wrapped up. As we go through seasons two through four, we have more and more loose ends that are never nipped, never tied off, never resolved. Never. And it sucks. Oh, well. Like the only per- the only character, ironically enough, that had real, marked, significant, long-term personal growth wasn't even our, one of our leads. It was Chet. Yes, I was about to say, like, <laughs> Chet's the only one that, like, I felt, like, grew. <laughs> like, he's the only Chet one was like, sort of I'm going to take... Okay. Chet was like, I'm going to take responsibility for my life. When his wife wants to leave him, he's like, listen, we can go through the courts I'm, or I can just give you a, a bunch of fucking money right now. Um, you know? Right. Um, Chet wants to be a father. And at first he goes about it the wrong way, but like he's really he invested in being in his... Yeah, he kidnaps his son, but eventually he gets his shit together. He gets his life together. And she sees that, like, you know, he's not that al- loaded alcoholic that he was for all of their marriage. And... Like, he shows through, like, long-term change in behavior that, like, he's worthy of being a father. Like, Chet makes a sort of slow—well, not slow. It's a rapid change, but it's a consistent change. He makes a sort of consistent change that they needed. <laughs> right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, and that and that's unreal. Um, I feel like you can skip unreal. Like, I don't think this show is, like, required viewing. I think it's interesting, like, if you're interested in, like, The Bachelor and, like, The Bachelor franchise, and you're interested in, like, the machinations of that, and I think if you're interested in, like, Unreal as, like, a cultural artifact, because, like, it, it was one, like, sure. But, like, even then, I would only watch the first season. I mean, even with the first season, it's it's deeply dissatisfying because we dealt with all of those major themes and we don't like it's like, where do you go from here? Uh, you know, when you suggested Unreal for this season, I was down with it because Marty Noxon was at the helm. And also I'm a huge Cherie Appleby fan and I didn't really get to see enough of her after Roswell because she was in the principal cast of OG Roswell as Liz, the the love interest um, for our protagonist, Max. And I've always loved her as an actress. And I'm going to say this, one of the good takeaways from the show is that, like, I know definitively that I don't just like Cherie Appleby. Like, she's actually a, a very strong actress. No, yeah, she's very strong in this show. Um, that's also, like, another hallmark of the show. The show, like... And this is why I think you can put pretty much all the blame of, like, the show on, like, the writing. Because there are a lot of strong, strong actors that come through the seasons of this show. Um, Serena, the girl who plays Serena, is very strong. I think Constance Constance Zimmer is strong. Sherry Appleby was very strong. Um, Freddie Stoma, Adam, he's a very strong actor. I think Mm -hmm. we get... um, 
Who else? The girl who plays Ruby is very good. You've got mm-hmm. Megan Tandy, who just does what she does well um, and does that in this show. I don't think any of the fault is with... Even August is, like, very, very good and, and stuff. I don't think any of the right. faults with the actors. I think it's clearly, it's this writing and the plotting and the pacing. Right. I mean, even the shy character who we don't see after season one was a very compelling one. So, yeah, I agree with that. I think the writing left a lot to be desired. And I think that, you know, when we discussed you, if you are... Uh, a patron our top two tiers you're going to be privy to that discussion but when we discussed it we talked about how um audiences were projecting on joe goldberg and that's why i didn't see him for what he was and i think that a lot of these the the what was going on in the writer's room and with the showrunner was that they were projecting upon these characters and they didn't like the writers didn't truly grasp just how toxic Rachel and Quinn were. I don't um, think that they, they, they weren't, they're not heroes. They're not heroes. Same. I agree. I don't think, I don't think the writers really understood that like they were villains. I don't get that. I think that they think that Quinn and Rachel are justified in all of their actions, which is, Whew, that's troubling, girl. Like, <laughs> but, it's so uh, disappointing. It's really disappointing. Disappointing. Like, where's the self awareness on this show? <laughs> show. <laughs> um, and and the reason why you think that is because like the show will make up reasons or like the show will do things to I think try to get you to sympathize with them, or and or the show will like present keep presenting like good things to them, or or in like distractions to rehurt them to then solidify their their bad decisions, um, which sucks. Oh well. <sighs> And there you have it, folks. Like, this is everything that we think made Unreal good, bad, basic, but totally bingeable. If you'd like to check the series, Unreal is currently streaming over on Hulu. Please leave your comments below and let us know what you thought of this series. If you're a GBB patron on our top two tiers, be sure to check out the Unreal Spotify playlist. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, uh, share it with your friends. And with that, we conclude season four of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. Tune in next week when we debut season five, Politics. We'll be kicking things off with the hit ABC drama, Scandal. Alex and I will be discussing the four first seasons of this political drama next Thursday. You can stream the series on Netflix if you need to catch up or refresh your memory. And if you don't have a Netflix subscription, Scandal is also streaming for free on the Vudu and Tubi apps. In the meantime, if you're on our top two tiers, tune in for another Gone Too Soon episode featuring the E! Network's short-lived drama, The Arrangement. The episode airs this Saturday. Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on all major podcast platforms to listen to all of our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Please follow us at Good Bad Basic Pod on Twitter and Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic. If you love this sort of content and you want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash good bad basic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time. Bye, everyone.